0: Welcome to Secrets, the recent winner of the Black Podcasters Listener's Love Award, where KP and PR share their knowledge and experiences in corporate America to advocate for creating generational wealth for the village. Here's how our listener describes Secrets. Keith and Ricky talk about everything in the workplace and beyond that you've always wanted to know about, but never really felt comfortable asking. From microaggressions to being your authentic self to systemic racism, KP and PR provide some of the most excellent career advice on the market. And in season six, these brothers will continue coming with hot fire on how to stay on code and trying to reach and exceed your career aspirations, how to use your power and privilege for good and how to survive the same old corporate performative acts. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson want to challenge you as well as corporate America to be better and do better. So fill up those cups and welcome to season six.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Secrets. We got another outstanding episode today for the Village. So, KP, what is happening in your world? What's going on, brother? Hey, I'm
2: doing all right today, PR. And, you know, as we've gone deeper and deeper into this season and talking about being on code, you know, one of the things that's really bothering me right now is all these forces that are going on around the country trying to cancel LGBTQ plus culture. It is just driving and just the history and just trying to like erase it like it's never happened. And trans people in particular are really going through it. They've become like the next boogeyman in this whole conversation, right? And it's creating all this unnecessary fear and chaos and around the country is just got me boiling.
1: It's crazy. It's almost like there is a you know, out there, and we're just checking off the secret list. Okay, we're going to start fucking with these people. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's really what's happening here. And like, you're just spitting like so much truth, you know, over there, KP, when you speak about this, it's like everybody is on the chopping block. If you don't like check certain boxes, you know, i.e. what, white, Christian, cisgender, heterosexual, native-born, like whatever makes... The majority feel uncomfortable. You're on the list.
2: You're on the list. <laughs> you know on what I'm the saying? I'm yes. like, okay.
1: <laughs> and this is kind of a uh, like deficit thinking that um, has to stop. Like if we want to progress as a country, we talk about it, but we don't necessarily be about it. We've had many LGBTQ plus guests on our show in the past and who are actually like moving the needle, yes. you know, here, right? Yes. And we're excited to welcome a new voice to the conversation today, KP. Why don't you introduce our guest, Jim Fielding, to the Secrets Village today? Absolutely.
2: It's, this is my pleasure. It's, it's, And <laughs> I've been waiting for this one for a little time because Jim and I have a little history together. So <laughs> we actually worked on the Glisten board together and uh, we're proud graduates of Indiana. University. The, the Indiana uh,
1: Connection again. Right. Okay. okay we can to get out the state of Indiana. That's right. Go <laughs>
2: oh, <let> me... <laughs> but Jim currently serves as a partner at Archer Gray, an independent media company, and he's president of its CoLab division. And he's led consumer product groups at some of the world's largest media companies, including Disney, DreamWorks, 20th Century Fox. And he's along the way built diverse cultures and visionary teams that have excelled in all of these competitive global markets. He has served as president of Disney Stores worldwide for four years and also served as CEO of Claire Stores, a leading jewelry and accessory retailer. I've seen those bad boys in malls all across the country, <laughs> everywhere I've been, right? So, so well, this is a real deal. Jim is also an active community leader and philanthropist. He serves on the board of directors of the Indiana University Foundation and was a founding member of the Dean's Council for the Hamilton Lugar Global International School at IU. Jim is a founder of the Queer Philanthropy Circle, the nation's premier fundraising and advocacy group for the queer community. And he also participates in the Women's Philanthropic Leadership Circle and the Black Philanthropy Circle. And Jim has also served as a board member of GLSEN, Make-A-Wish Foundation, and the American Red Cross, and has been an executive in residence for, for IU Ventures and Indiana University's Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And he's endowed several scholarships at IU to support overseas study, international internships, and advocacy leadership training. So. Y'all, we got the real deal in the house today. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the real
2: deal in the house today. Jim, welcome to the show. Welcome to Seekers. Oh
3: Secrets. my gosh, I'm so thrilled and honored to be here. It's so interesting to hear that bio. It's amazing. And I appreciate yes. your interest. And we do have history and- I've been looking forward to this. Like I've been anticipating it for weeks. So I'm just so glad I love what you guys are doing and you know, the blood boiling thing, you probably been seeing me on LinkedIn. This is a tough week, by the way, this Mm -hmm. week I was posting and posting and posting because I couldn't believe what was going on. And uh, I do feel like it's coming at us from everywhere. And to your guys point, it's like anything that's an other than a straight white cisgender male seems to be under attack. They're not even really the majority anymore. Right. I mean, when you think Mm -hmm. (laughs) about, you know, female, honestly, female is the majority, like white female, I think is the majority. And, but I love that you guys are doing this. I love that we're talking about these issues and I just really appreciate the time.
1: Well, look, I'm uh, just extremely excited to welcome you on the show, you know, as well, Jim. And, uh, you know, I know Keith, as great as that bio was, I know Keith left out some, some real key pieces <laughs> there because I know at, at IU, now word on the streets is that there's some buildings
2: they're,
0: they're with some family <laughs>
1: names on them. There's not yeah. some real
3: estate. Not yet.
1: Some real estate on the campus. <laughs> but no, we're, we're so happy, you know, for you to be on the show, you know, today.
2: Absolutely. And so in today's episode, we'll talk with Gemma about his story and career journey, including his new book, All Pride, No Ego, A Queer Executive's Journey to Living and Leading Authentically. We'll also get his perspective on LGBTQ plus issues in the workplace and the current political climate. As always, we'll provide some receipts and today's receipts will talk about LGBTQ plus representation and LGBTQ plus employees' experiences in the workplace. And then we'll close out with a double dose of secrets from Jim, on tools that LGBTQ plus employees can use to navigate their careers and how leaders can use their power and privilege for good to advocate for LGBTQ plus inclusion in the workplace. So. Here we go, y'all. Yeah,
1: so we are about to get into this. So, so Jim.
2: Such like, a light
3: agenda. It's a really Jim light agenda. agenda. <laughs> yeah, like. that's why we got this,
1: uh, this act right in our hands. That's right. That's why we got this calming serum, you know, in our hands. It's like, okay, deep breath, deep breath. Yeah, here yeah. we go. So, Jim, we like to start off our interviews by giving our Secrets listeners some insight on who they're actually speaking to. Now, again, mm. they got a pretty good indication with <laughs> Keith's introduction there. But can you please take a moment... Just to bring the village, you know, up to speed on who you are, what was your upbringing like, and then we'll kind of navigate into like talking about your career journey to date.
3: Well, I was born in Toledo, Ohio, uh, 1965. So I'm officially as a marketer, I'm a baby boomer, even though everything you read says baby boomers stop in 1964. I am the tail end of baby boom. And I think everything about my upbringing and my personality is quite honestly tied to that. My dad was from a family of firemen. So I'm the son of a fireman and the grandson of a fireman and the great grandson of a fireman. So the Toledo fire department was deep in our blood. My mom was a stay at home mom. She was an x-ray technician until she had me. And like many moms of the sixties became a stay at home mom. And uh, my parents were both super active in the community, really active in school. I have one younger sister who's one of my best friends in the world. We're about three years apart And we're proud, you know, public school graduates. We went to Meadowvale Elementary School in Toledo, Ohio, for any listeners. You know, it was the old days where your parents bought a house because that's where you went to school, right? It was a good school district and we walked to school and I went to a really large high school. It's called Whitmer High School in Toledo. It was about, I had graduated with almost 800 kids in my class. So if you think about that, it was over 3,000 kids and you know we'll talk more about it later. it's also in the book. High school was not my favorite time for a variety of reasons but I saw high school and doubling down on studying and activity and everything as my way out of Toledo honestly. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so I worked really really hard in high school to get as many scholarships and grants and opportunities as I could and I chose, Indiana University, like Keith did. I knew I wanted to go to a Big Ten school. I knew I wanted to be far enough away that my parents couldn't surprise visit me on the weekends. Um, <laughs> and so Indiana was about six hours from Toledo. It turned out to be probably one of the most pivotal decisions of my life. I mean, my time at Indiana really, really formed a lot of who I am today, including I studied overseas in Denmark my junior year, which I think also really, really Kind of honed me and formed me. You know, basically when I graduated, and, you know, Keith shared a lot of my bio, but I went into retail. I went into a retail training program. It was the middle 80s. They were telling us to go get real world experience before you get a graduate degree. I had planned to go to law school. I had majored in political science with an outside field in business. And I got into retail and I loved it and was good at it and just kind of never looked back. But at the core, You know, what makes me who I am is I'm a proud son of a very blue-collar family from Toledo, Ohio. Like, you know, a very rather simple, humble upbringing, really strong extended family with roots in Toledo. And that really made me what I am.
2: Thanks for sharing that upbringing because that helps ground people. You know, you're like the epitome of a type of guest that we like to have on secrets. It just has that background of being the underdog, you know, mm-hmm. maybe not supposed to being naked and found a way to do it. And as you said, I mean, you've worked, at, worked in retail, you've worked with the elite in retail and in Hollywood. And yeah. talk to us more about kind of your career journey and also the aspects yeah. of kind of coming out as you're yeah. kind of going along the way as well.
3: Yeah. I mean, I started my career in that department store training program in Minneapolis in the closet which is kind of ironic when you think about the retail industry but it was the 80s and you know we weren't out if you wanted a career you weren't out 80s also was the height of the AIDS crisis and a lot of people were assuming that like gay equaled AIDS equaled sick equaled mm-hmm. death and you know it there was just so much misinformation and so much miscommunication and i completely lived a double life for the first four years of my career, I didn't really come out even to my family or certainly at work until I was 26. And when I did, I actually made the decision to leave that company and join another company. And that's when I joined the Gap. And that was really the start of my path, I would say, towards authenticity and authentic leadership was I interviewed for The Gap. I mean, they recruited me, but every interview I went to, I shared my authentic story. The fact that I had a partner, that I was gay, that, you know, I just never hid that. I wasn't going to change pronouns. I wasn't going to change stories. I wasn't going to live the double life anymore. And I remember consciously saying to myself, if that's a reason they don't want me, then this is a company I don't want to be at. But of course it was The Gap. They were based in San Francisco and I pretty much had done my research and figured out it would be okay. And I think at that point joining the gap when i did coming out joining it as an out gay man i think it changed everything and i think my career really took off from there because i just was living who i was and bringing the best of me every day to work and the gap in the late 80s and 90s when i was there was like getting a graduate degree in retail i mean that was the heyday of the gap and they sent me around the world to learn how to make jeans and sweaters and knits. And I mean, it was just around the world. We were dressing in a uniform of denim and white shirts and khaki pants and denim shirts. We were all like little clones of each other. And, The Gap certainly knew how to exploit that, but it was amazing. I had an amazing run there. And I really thought my entire career was going to be in retail because of that. We say, a lot of retailers say you get bitten by the retail bug. I was bitten by the retail bug for sure.
1: I'm sitting here smiling because I'm thinking about, you know, my time at Gap, you know, also. And I just know that it's certain organizations that you can work for that when you say it's like getting an MBA, it makes you golden. You know, it's Medtronic and Medtech, you know, or J&J or something like that. It's Gap, you uh-huh. know, it's like, you know, some of those organizations, if you say, yes. if you got that on there, but you know, you get an opportunity to work with just brilliant minds, you know, so to yes. speak. And now think about if you go there and you can actually be the real Ricky, the real Keith, the real Jim, yeah. it's like liberating to mm-hmm. some degree here, right? Because You're you don't have all liberated. of this that there's always going to be some extra shit you got to deal with, mm-hmm. but you don't have to work, worry about that part of That's it. That's right. You can come in and they're accepting you mm-hmm. as you are. I think the struggle becomes when you go somewhere and they don't really appreciate mm-hmm. the value of the diversity that you bring to the table and they're asking you to be something that you're not or making you feel uncomfortable being mm-hmm. who you really are. There, therein lies the psychological safety yep. <laughs> you know, yeah, issues. Yes. You know, whatnot.
3: I think to your point, Ricky, I mean, I often tell people that that time at the Gap like I would take my work home at night and study because there were so many brilliant minds around me. I wanted to keep up with everybody. Mm -hmm. It stretched me in such a good way. And I mean, I am a lifelong learner and constantly curious, but I just loved being around. And I think all the companies I ended up working with, there was always, I loved being not the smartest person in the room. I loved being constantly challenged and, I think it's such a good point. And that's why I ended up never going back and getting a graduate degree because I felt like I had already done it. Like it mm-hmm. just felt like it was un, not unnecessary because I value education, but it just never felt like it was the right time to do it because I was on this career path now and loving it.
2: For sure. And that experience at Gap obviously then set the stage for you to be able to move into mm-hmm. the other great companies. Can you talk yes. a little bit about that and how yeah. those companies reacted to you being an out? <laughs>
3: yeah, uh, and it's interesting. Yeah, once you're out, there's no going back, right? So, <laughs> you know, the rest, you know, every move I made, I left the Gap and went to a really small company called the J. Peterman Company that's famous from Seinfeld in Lexington, Kentucky. I did that because it was like the start of the dot-com phase and the catalog phase, and I wanted to learn again. And, you know, that was a company that ultimately went bankrupt, but that was actually a very good lesson for me and something I would have never learned at the Gap. You know, Gap was never going to go bankrupt. Ultimately, I made my way to Disney. And I, and I think that's really this, I call it the two halves of my career. So the first half was very retail. In 2001, I got recruited to go to Disney and work in the Disney catalog. I just thought it was a huge... First off, Disney was an incredible company. Like so many people, I grew up on Disney. I love the characters. I love the stories. I loved the magic of it all. But I also loved the opportunity because I didn't even know there was a Disney catalog. And I was in the catalog business. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm in the catalog business. And I literally would get hundreds of catalogs in my mailbox and I never got a Disney one. And I thought, well, that Smells Like Opportunity. And I just joined Disney at a really interesting time, 2001. The first half of my career was the Michael Eisner era. The second half of my career, I was there for 12 years, was the Bob Iger era, almost exactly half and half. And I was very lucky within two months that I had a mentor named Andy Mooney, who was the head of consumer products, who saw something in me and literally took me under his wing and just progressed me. And I moved from the catalog into the stores the first time. Then I moved into the consumer products licensing and merchandising group, doing retail sales and marketing around the world. And then ultimately in 2008, he promoted me to president of Disney Store, which to this day, looking back those four years, no offense against anybody that I've worked with since, it was my absolute favorite job I ever had. Mm-hmm. Traveling around the world opening, remodeling, bringing Disney magic to the world and seeing all those families that we touched. It was an unbelievable experience. It also was my hardest decision because I had a leadership change. My boss changed. And the last year of my tenure was the worst year in my career. And because of that leadership change, I ended up leaving Disney. So I left my favorite job ever because I was not being managed correctly and I was not being listened to and I wasn't being respected. And to make that decision, you know, where you're literally the dichotomy of being in your favorite job and then realizing that it was killing you, that it was literally draining me. And I became like the classic disgruntled employee. I became open to recruiters. I became open to outside opportunities. And that's when I got recruited to be CEO of Claire's. And I decided, you know, unfortunately, as sad as it was, that it was time to leave Disney and kind of go back to my retail roots and do Claire's. And so that's when I moved to Chicago and became CEO of Claire's worldwide jewelry accessories and ear piercing headquarters and did that for almost three years. And then Got called again to come back to Hollywood and really work at a startup. I mean, Awesomeness TV, DreamWorks, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and Michael Francis called me and said, We bought this company named Awesomeness TV. It's like a multi channel network. You guys will remember those that, t- you know, it's like, and I was being disrupted by that and said, Okay, well, if I'm going to learn about this, I'm going to come back and do it because if I'm going to be disrupted, I might as well be the disruptor and not the disrupted. And Mm -hmm. so it it got me back into Hollywood, Disney, or I mean, got me back into DreamWorks, you know? So then I did the trifecta. I did Disney, DreamWorks, and then ended up at 20th Century Fox. But my last five years in big media was times of uh, consolidation and mergers and acquisitions. I went through two huge mergers and acquisitions where DreamWorks got sold to NBC, Universal, Comcast, and, then ultimately when Fox got sold back to Disney, I mean, talk about a full circle moment. And at that point was when I was like, okay, I'm kind of done in big media. I've I've done my run. I, Fox and Disney treated us very well. I got a nice severance package. And for the first time in my life, I was laid off. I'd never been laid off. But I was actually looking forward to being laid off and getting the severance package and then being able to pivot again. Great, Man, I mean, just, this
1: is like an incredible like story. And, I know, and, I went fast, and, but it's... No, 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 no. What I'm alluding to is Jim Fielding's humbleness, yes, where he really yes. doesn't want to tell you he's trying not to name drop. He's trying not to tell yeah. you like, who he knows then what he's done. But Jim, I have this cup in my hand and I'm going to get it out of you. I promise you. (laughs) I'm
3: going to make Jim tell worked. All right. I know. Now I'm blushing. I have been blessed to work for some of the leading Bob Iger, Andy Mooney, Jeffrey Katzenberg, Ann Daly, Stacey Snyder, like especially in Hollywood and media, it's a who's who leaders all with very different styles. I took pieces of each of them with me. And I'm so grateful for it. And Mm -hmm. I think throughout it all, that humility and that Midwestern work ethic is what worked for me because I just literally would put my head down and do my job and always try to build a culture and build a team that would make the business better than it was when I got there. Mm -hmm. That I was just, I was so qualitatively and quantitatively goal-focused. And I always believed, I still believe to this day that, especially media and entertainment, it's a people-driven business. And I felt that I had to recruit, train, retain the best and the brightest in the industry that if I didn't have a good team, I was going to fail because it's not the kind of company or industry where it's you're an individual contributor. It's just not. And people saw that in me and recognized it and rewarded me. And then I rewarded them with hard work and innovation and... <laughs> And curiosity and... And results. You know, I, and, and results. I gave back. You know, I just felt like I owed them the best mm-hmm. of me. And because they were enabling it, then I thrived. I absolutely thrived. But when it wasn't enabled, like when I talked earlier about Disney, it was also a really cold and sad time. When I felt, you mentioned it earlier, Ricky, you know, one of the learnings in the book I know you guys have seen is don't let anyone dim your light. And... That Disney story is a dim your light story because they were basically asking me, I had been doing something for three, three and a half years and we were on a success track and the new boss came in and was like, no, that's not my definition of success. And you need to start dismantling and changing everything you've done. And I couldn't do it. Like I just couldn't, like I physically and emotionally couldn't do it.
1: Yeah. Oh my right. God! Look, I'm I'm having PTSD <laughs> you know, here because idea. yeah, because i I'm, I just had a conversation with a really close friend uh, not too long ago, and you know she's since left her last company and she's somewhere mm-hmm. else now. But she had a manager doing all of this great work. The new manager comes in and says, "Look, I don't want you to outshine, you know, everyone, right? Mm-hmm. I want you to kind of like stay in your place a little bit." That is like deafening, right? I mean,
3: it is. That's dimming your light. Yeah. Yeah. A manager saying, turn your light down. Like Mm turn your talent down where I had been managed for 11 years. Think about I had one boss. I only had two bosses in 12 years at Disney. I had one boss for 11 years and one boss for a year. My boss for 11 years, Andy Mooney would like turn my light up. Like he would Mm -hmm. be like plugging in more. Like he'd be like, okay, give me more, give me more like a Bunsen Mm burner. Right. Go, go, go. What do you need? How can I enable you? He would give me feedback. He would give me resources, right? Then I get the new boss who's like, mm, 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 mm. You know, <laughs> turn, turn it down. Turn it yeah, down. No, yeah. no, no. I don't like that version of Jimmy. Yeah, like, no, I, I don't you. like that. It's like, mind-blowing. I always say it's like a Harvard Business School study. and like of a disenfranchised, disgruntled employee.
1: No, no, I got it. I mean, it's nothing worse than The Bad Boss, right? Like it's nothing yeah, worse than that. But you, you know, learn
3: from them. You learn you from them.
1: You know, you yeah. absolutely do. You have whether what to do or what not to do, but you definitely learn, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, Jim, what I wanted, like this story is just fascinating, you know, Yeah. Here, but you made mention, you know, of your book, right? So this is your first book you know, coming out soon yes. called All Pride, No Ego, A Queer's Executive Journey to Living and Leading Authentically. Again, we know that you had some great opportunities in your career as mentioned, and some probably that you don't mention here. But when you talk about in greater detail about your journey as an out executive and some of the lessons you learned along the way, I mean, number yeah. one, just congratulations, because I mean, people Thank were you an entire career sometimes and don't get a chance to be authentic, right? Wow. You know, so yeah. congratulations on you being able to. But can you, listeners, just a sneak peek of maybe one or two lessons you learned along the way of uh, your career journey? I know you talked about, we mentioned not dimming your light, but I know you're going to mention some of these things in your book. Can you just give us one or two yeah.
3: snippets, <laughs> you know? <laughs> here. No, for sure, little hints. Well, I mean, the book, and thank you so much. So the book comes out August 15th. It's organized around 10 learnings and I'm not going to list all 10 learnings. I'll give you two of them, but each of the learnings, then I tell personal and professional stories to say, how Mm -hmm. did I get to that learning? So I'm not, I'm not even giving you the ones in order, but two that are, were some of my favorite to write about is one of the sections or chapters is a learning that says selfish is not a bad word. And that I tell a lot of stories, personal and professional, where I had to learn about selfish with the help of. Therapists and executive coaches and friends is that selfish actually equals self care. And if you take care of yourself, you actually are going to be a better leader. You're going to be a better partner, a better husband, a better son, you know, everything. But I've been raised back to my Midwest upbringing that selfish is a bad word. And if little Jimmy, because my dad's name was Jim, so I was Jimmy was selfish, which meant he wasn't sharing with his sister or he had taken her toy. Little Jimmy sat in the corner with his, you know, facing the wall. So I had heard my whole life, you're selfish. You're so selfish. You don't share. Like, you're ungrateful. Like, you should share your stuff. So I literally had it in my brain that selfish was bad. And through my career and a lot of work, and I talk about it in the book, I flip that and say, selfish is a good word. And taking care of yourself, there's nothing to be ashamed of. I always thought you guys will laugh because we all fly a lot in our careers. It's like when they say when the oxygen comes down, like, you know, the emergency drill, always put Mm -hmm. your own Mm -hmm. oxygen on first before helping others. That to me Mm -hmm. is selfish, right? But it's good selfish because it's like, if you have your oxygen flowing, you're going to be able to help your neighbor or your, you know, whoever you're flying with. Mm -hmm. So that's one learning that I had a lot of fun writing about because that was more of a, I would say late in career learning. You know, that wasn't something I got in my 30s or 40s. I think that was probably more in my 50s. And then, you know, the first one I write about, the first learning is control the controllable, but leave space for the possible. And I think my leadership style is very planned and I'm type A. I think most people probably would have guessed that by now. And, um, you know, a little anal retentive and a little ADD and I like things a certain way. And I always you know, have a calendar have a plan, have a focus, have a vision. But what I've learned over time is almost like an 80, 20 rule is like plan about 80% and be effective like that, but leave room because especially Mm -hmm. working in retail and working in media, you can't predict everything and you can't control everything. And I would get mad at myself for not controlling everything and predicting everything. And I honestly probably would miss some opportunities because I was so focused that I wasn't leaving room for the possible. And I think the spontaneity and the things that just pop up, I write a lot in the book about how I learned about that too. And again, it's not like I started my career with that skill. If anything, I think I started my career with the controlling mechanisms and I actually got rewarded for that because – Retail is detail, right? And I would get rewarded for being on budget and on time and having all my paperwork done correctly. I probably was closing myself off to stuff by being too controlling. So Jim, when does the damn book to come out again? When is the August 15th? Because because, because
1: I, it's almost like you was in my head getting some of my issues and writing about yes, the shit. So like I, I need to I need it. to read it's the happy. book.
3: I need to read the book. <laughs> read okay, the well book. that's and then I'll give you a free therapy session, right? Yeah,
1: um, but I want but I want my book signed, though, Jim. I, I no,
3: I will sign <laughs> and I'll stamp it. I'll even, like, I'll put lipstick on and put a kiss mark in it. Yeah, so, you hey, whatever whatever you word. want. To me. Whatever you want. It's yeah. personalized for you. But you know what? You guys, you know this. We talked about it. I never intended to write a book. Like, I never... It wasn't like on my Oprah vision board, like, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, write a book. And, you know, the gift that my publishers, John Wiley and Sons, I have an incredible editor named Shannon Vargo. And the gift that she gave me is said, I was writing the book when I was 56, 57. And she said, write the book that 26-year-old Jim wished he would have read with Mm -hmm. the wisdom that 56. So it's almost like I wrote the book to myself, to be Mm -hmm. honest. And similar to the way I'm talking, the book is very storytelling and very conversational. Like my writing style is pretty much the way I talk. So it's, it's literally like I'm having a dialogue with myself, but what I worked really hard on, even though I put queer executive right on the cover, and I'm so proud of that. I really think the leadership lessons apply to any leader, Mm -hmm, any gender, any sexuality, any race, any age. It's not like I said, control the control, but leave the space for the possible all you gay men, right? Like it's (laughs) it's literally it applies to everybody. And mm-hmm. I think it applies early in your career and late in your career if you're managing a team of 10 or 100, or if you're just managing your own career. And so I had my early readers. I had a very diverse set of early readers, ages, genders, sexuality, experiences, industries, because I wanted the feedback to make sure that the 10 learnings were universal. Mm-hmm. And I think you reading it, it will stimulate something in you. And you'll say, oh, I shared that. Or I understand him. A straight white woman who I have a ton of respect for named Mindy Grossman, who was the CEO of, of Weight Watchers and you know worked at Ralph Lauren and Home Shopping Network. Like I've known her for 20 years. And she said, I learned so much about you. And I took things away that I can still use now. And when I think of how accomplished she is, so that meant a lot to me because I didn't, mm-hmm. I'm super proud that I put Queer on the cover and I'm writing as an out queer executive, but I wanted the learnings to be universal.
2: Just amazing. I mean, just to hear all of that career stuff and all of that wisdom and just some of the things we talk about, the sponsorship, the mentorship, you know, you know, you know, know, surviving through downsizing, Mm -hmm. just all things we've talked about in the past, just to know, hey, you've been through them. And you've lived them, and and we're not over here BSing, right? All the right. time too. Yeah. From humble Jimmy, that's From right. Humble Jimmy, humble Jimmy, Jimmy. Humble, Jimmy. <laughs> humble Jimmy. That's
3: right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little
2: humble Jimmy. So, so we're going to uh, switch gears just a little bit, and want to just get your insights on some of the LGBTQ plus uh, issues that we're facing. Take
3: another um, drink for
2: this in the workplace. That's right, <laughs> and more broadly in the country, you know, because ACLU has listed over a hundred bills that that. have been introduced in 2023 around the country, kind of targeting LGBTQ plus rights, you know, trying to restrict things that we've learned in school, you know, suppressing our history, targeting our freedom of expression, you know, all the safety and healthcare issues around transgender people. You know, it just feels like we're just moving backwards. It's like we're almost back in the 80s again, right? With Reagan and all the terror that was going on. So just curious to just hear your thoughts on what you think is happening in in the world Mm -hmm. right
3: now. Yeah, I think we're almost back in the 80s. Sometimes I think we're almost back in the 50s. I mean, free civil rights, you know, Black civil rights, women's rights. I think it's what Ricky said at the beginning. Keith, you said it is. I feel like the cisgender white male perceived majority is scared to death and is hanging on to everything they can hang on to by their fingernails and is literally demonizing and weaponizing marginalized communities for their political agenda. I literally last week, like there's days where there's almost like tears of frustration in my eyes when I'm reading the newsfeed. I mean, Florida, four anti-LGBTQ bills signed in one day, one day, like for a variety of different things, Texas, Idaho, even my home state of Georgia, it's really mind-blowing to me. And I think it's a backlash, if I can be completely honest, I think the far right, the conservative far right, the Christian right, whatever you want to call them, is trying to make us pay back for eight years of the Obama administration, eight years of progressiveness. I think they've been super organized about it. I think they have a lot of money. I think they have very powerful people behind them. And I think they've been planning this for a long time. And I think they're going after. It's so interesting to me because you guys will remember this. When Roe versus Wade got overturned again, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas told us, we're coming after LGBTQ, right? Like he he literally told us. He did. I mean, it's not even like, why, why are we surprised? I mean, he literally said, they're coming after us. Right. And pers- but, but he
1: conveniently left out the, the mixed marriages, though. He did. No, totally. Yeah, we're going coming coming to after 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 we wait on this one right here, though.
3: No, no, no. Right. Because he and it's funny because I think that certain wing of the Republican Party thought, mm-hmm. OK, we're going to go after the right to marry. You guys know this. Like we're going to try and repeal the right to marry. And then they went out. And they started to look at public opinion polls among Republicans and Democrats. And the right to marry is actually pretty bulletproof. Like it's actually pretty popular. Like people actually do believe that our community should have the right to be married. And so what did they do? They pivot and they're like, okay, well, we're going to go after drag queens. We're going to go after trans community. Mm -hmm. Keith, you mentioned Uh it because they're easier targets, right? So we're going to demonize you know, gender affirming mental health, gender affirming medical care. We're going to scare people to your point. We're going to scare them that, you know, they're going to recruit your children. Like, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to create all these trans children. And, oh, and by the way, we're going to take books out of libraries and out of schools because it's promoting a lifestyle. And then you look at the list of books and I'm like, How does Catcher in the Rye promote a lifestyle? Like, it's a classic. Like, I don't get it. And it's been, you know, sad, but true. I can be honest with your listeners. I'm having conversations now with my publisher that certain states might not even carry my book because it's got queer on the cover. And I never even thought about that. And I would never take queer off the cover to try and get it into a state or a city. Mm -hmm. But I literally pinch myself, as I know you guys do, and say, it's 2023. Like I assumed I had been through the fights. You guys have been there with me. We fought for civil rights. You know, we fought for women's rights. We fought for civil rights. We fought the AIDS crisis. I mean, that was a fight for your younger listeners that don't know fighting that AIDS crisis was, and it's still, it's still with us, but it's not the way it was before. We Mm -hmm. fought for the right to marry. We fought for equal representation. We fought to get elected officials in who were friendly to our community, or actually we're from our community because representation matters. And I never, I personally, as a political science graduate, as a donor, as an advocate and an activist, completely underestimated how organized the right could be and how quickly they could create fear. Mm -hmm. So fear, basically. And some days, like I said, I have tears of frustration. I just weep I weep for these families. Think about a family in Florida right now, guys, that has a trans kid, a kid in trans care who literally is thinking about it. They might have to move, right? Mom and dad have jobs. They have other kids in the family. And Keith, you know, from the time we were on Glisten board and the fact that these families, I'm seeing them interviewed in the news are actually thinking about having to leave a state because their kid can't get mental health care or they can't get like, it just is wrong. And what I've realized fortuitously with the book coming out is it gives me a platform and I have to get loud and I have to be a visible and vocal advocate. And I wrote in the book, Keith, you and I talked about this, that just by living your lifestyle, living as an authentic queer man, you're an activist now. Even if you don't want to be an activist. That's even right, if you're you like, are. That's you right. are. And honestly, I don't think we have a choice. I think we have to protect our community and we particularly have to protect the young people. And I'm in shock, but then, you know, you look for those green shoots, you know, the mayor of Jacksonville, you know, first female Democrat mayor got elected last week. So you look for those moments, but it is overwhelming. And I think all of the facts that you guys talked about in the and like I'm in shock at how much is happening.
1: You know, and I, yeah. I want to kind of build off that, like uh, this topic, you know, as we're talking about. You know, you kind of get forced into being an advocate and and, and fighting for rights and, and trying to do the right thing here when the right mm-hmm. thing is not always so popular, right? I mean, that's Keith and I, we never thought we'd be doing a hundred plus episodes, yeah, to, right? yeah, people, they calling us saying, What about this? Well, you know, what, what I about was. this? You know, like <laughs> what about this. So, but I want to kind of build on this, you know, specifically about the workplace. Like your former employer, Disney. Now we yeah. know they've certainly been in the crosshairs of these anti-LGBTQ plus uh movements in progress. Okay. And some other, you know, things happening too here in the great state of Florida, but I know you will give us some secrets a little later on on how companies can combat some of this uh, craziness, but how do you see all of this hate impacted
3: LGBTQ plus employees in the workplace and new adults moving into the workplace? I think it has huge short-term and long-term ramifications for companies trying to recruit the best talent. Like we talked about earlier, you know, they were going to move 2000 people from California to Florida and mm-hmm. build a new campus. And, you know, and, and I, I think it was like a billion dollar, billion billion dollar. It was a billion yeah, yeah, yeah. dollar investment. And by the way, the 2000 people they were moving were well paid people. So when you think about the tax yeah. revenue, even though, you know, Florida is not an income tax state, they would buy mm-hmm. houses and schools mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I think this is a perfect example of what you're asking, Ricky, because there's still employees that were employees of mine. I've been out of Disney now 11 years, 2012, and there's still people there that work that were calling me for advice because they were in California and they were being at their job was being moved to Florida and they did not see Florida as a hospitable place for their family. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about gay families, I'm talking about interracial families or Latino families or or you know, or if
1: you think about like some of those well-paid people, some of those are people of color, right? So if ethnically diverse people moving, and again, when you've done the work that you've done, when you've done some right. of the work that we've done, you can be you are afforded the opportunity of living in affluent neighborhoods. But now yeah. your kids are going to these affluent schools, but now we can't talk about black history or anything else. Like so it's kind of like to your point, it's like yeah. it's really impacting who gets to come to the state, who wants to stay,
3: you know, all all of those things impact the workplace. So I'm appreciative of you bringing that up. And then and people, I knew people because those Disney employees, when they were moving everybody, each one of those employees had a conversation and they had a choice to make because their job was moving. So if they weren't willing to move, they were going to get packaged. They were going to get laid off. And I think there was so much angst and anxiety with that. And now it's flipped the other way because some people did make the move. So now you have the opposite situation yeah. happening. Cause now they're like, wait a minute, I moved my family. And but I did read in some of their press releases that they're going to help people, you know, reverse unwind. back re- yeah, unwind yeah. back to California. But I think it's very hard as leaders in the industry right now. Like I think, of course, that companies have to use their voices and their economic power to try to affect change. In government. I'm not saying a company has to be Republican or Democrat. I'm not saying that. I just think they have to be active. And I think they have to use use their resources and use their voice again. And it's not just about LGBTQ rights, to your point, Ricky. It's about Black rights. It's about Latina rights. It's about Mm -hmm. women's rights. I think the access to women's healthcare is as big an issue as any other issue we could talk about. You know, I think, you know, my partner is a doctor. He's not OBGYN, he's a pediatrician, but he has OBGYN friends. In certain states where they're totally unclear on what they're even allowed to do with a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what if a woman is having a bad miscarriage? Like, are they allowed to help to save her? Like, there's this whole issue of like, are they saving the woman's life? Are they performing abortion? It's horrible. Again, Mm -hmm. that we're in 2023, because doctors, they take the Hippocratic Oath first do no harm, right? But now they're thinking about the politics. And could they be actually arrested? Or could they be fined? And Again, in the medical community, and you guys read the same news I do, the doctors are leaving certain states. OBGYNs (laughs) are leaving states because they don't want to deal with it. And I was listening to NPR in the car the other day about the state of Idaho. There's like now birthing center deserts where people could live three hours from a hospital or a place where you can even go to have a baby because the doctors have left. I don't think... Everybody thinks about those ramifications when they're in the voting booth. You know, my dad, God bless him. You know, after he was a fireman, he retired to Florida and he actually became the mayor of Port St. Lucie, Florida for two terms. And he always used to say all politics, Jim, Jimmy, because I'm Jimmy, he's Jim. Jimmy, all politics is local. Remember that. And I think one of the things, you know, we get so wrapped up in the presidential election and, you know, Biden Mm -hmm. and Trump running again and stuff. But guys, where we're having trouble right now is with school boards and mayors and governors. And it's like, I think my dad, you know, from heaven saying to me, remember, I told you all politics is local. And a lot of these cases, your governor and your state legislature is more important than the president. Uh, President Biden, no offense against President (laughs) Biden, because it's these governors and these local legislatures and state legislatures that are enacting these horrible, horrible, pieces of legislation
2: yeah, absolutely yeah no doubt no doubt we've always told people to keep the eye on the ball yeah I totally. mean, I had, I had, I had,
3: who is your attorney general yeah like voting mm-hmm. for your attorney general is a really big deal and right. i don't think we talk enough About that. And by the way, I'm sure you're going to ask me a question, but it's going to sound funny when I say it. But I literally, as a queer community, I don't understand why we're not doing hashtag boycott Florida, hashtag boycott Texas. Because by the way, I was there, Keith, I know you were there. You guys remember when we boycotted Coors Beer? Yeah, when the community boy. And by the way, we weren't supposed to go to Chick-fil-A either. Remember that? We weren't supposed to go to Chick-fil-A. I still have it. Right. We have movements about that. Cracker Barrel. Can't mm-hmm. eat a Cracker Barrel, right? That's right. Can't shop at Hobby Lobby because they're unfair to our community. I don't want to spend a dime in Florida. A dime right in Florida. A yeah. dime. I'm
2: not going there.
3: And South Beach, Key West, what if we stopped going? What yeah. about if our community stopped going to Key West, stopped going to South Beach, stopped going to Fort Lauderdale? And I feel sorry and horrible for all your listeners who live there. I'm not abandoning you, I promise. But I'm saying <laughs> as an outsider, why should I go and give my... Yeah. revenue yep. to hotels yep. and restaurants and entertainment if you don't support my lifestyle.
2: Totally agree. We'll move to something more positive. Yeah, Go yeah. Right. Let's do some love now. <laughs> like Let's do say, some Take another drink, drink right Ricky. I, Take I
3: another my
1: drink, drink, right Ricky. I, Take my drink, Ricky. My drink Take a yellow. drink. I'm about to replenish this drink while keep asking questions.
3: Take a shot. Okay, yeah, ask yeah. me something happy. Ask me yeah, something
2: You'll all happy. happy. So- we know one of your life statements is, yeah. may we leave our corner of the world a little better than we found it, right? And it, obviously, you've been following this mantra for years and in many, many ways. You know, yeah. we've worked together on the Glyssa board. You've worked for a lot of things. We talked about some of your philanthropic things that you do for Indiana. And we've shared with our listeners, part of being on code, as we call it, as a leader is giving back, It both with your blood, sweat, and tears, and also with your dollars, you know, right. as well. And you do right. both of those. So why is giving back so important to you as a leader?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, it goes back to my roots. I was raised in a family. Both of my parents were very active in the community. My dad and grandfather and uncles were all members, were Shriners. And so the, you know, Shriners Kids Hospitals, the burn hospitals, you know, my parents were very involved in like PTA and things like that. And so I think our family always had, an attitude. And we were actually told, you know, remember there's always somebody else whose life is worse off than your own and, and needs something. And even if we weren't able to do a lot of cash to your point, you know, we always talk about time, talent, and treasure. It's like, we can volunteer, you can donate to toy drives, you can donate to food drives. Like I was just raised that way. And so I'm very grateful to my family for that. And then I think as I got older, and I was working for companies like The Gap and Disney and DreamWorks that are also very philanthropic as a company. And I was actually encouraged. You know, I was on the Make-A-Wish board really as Disney's representative on the Make-A-Wish board. They actually encouraged me and gave me the time to be on Make-A-Wish. The Glisten board we were on together, that was my personal passion. I have a huge passion for Make-A-Wish as, as well. But it was actually almost part of my job requirements to be, to give back. spend time in the community and I was honored in 2011 that I was named Disney volunteer of the year for my activities of make a wish and other things that I did in the community. And, you know, to me, I have this amazing group of straight friends that I talk about in the book that I've been friends with for over 40 years from college. And they're always like, oh, my gosh, like, you you know, you do so much and everything else. One thing I remind them of, I don't have any kids to put through college. Right. So I didn't have so I almost like view what I do with the scholarships and things like that as like what it would be if I had put a kid through or two kids through a four year school. And I was the benefit of scholarships and grants, beneficiary of scholarships and grants. I could not have gone to Indiana University as an out-of-state tuition student without the benefit of the work-study program, grants, and scholarships. And I still graduated with debt. And so my driver right now is I like to do programs and scholarships that help people graduate either without debt or with less debt, because I actually think this burden of student debt is a problem for us because I believe completely in the value of a college education, but it bothers me when people graduate with too much debt and feel the burden of that debt. So I feel like it's our job to give back and to really, I don't even look at it as give back as much as pay it forward. And Mm -hmm. I'm constantly inspired by the kids that when are granted one of my scholarships, you know, and I get emails or letter, not really letters anymore because they don't write letters, but email letters. And, you know, I get updates on who I don't pick the scholarship winners. I didn't want to, I endow the scholarship, but I don't look at the applications and all that. I feel like the professionals need to do that. But when I get the thank you notes and, you know, read about a young woman who Studied overseas in Morocco and worked on women's health in Morocco. Like it literally, I get teary half the time when I read these, or young queer student who went to a queer leadership seminar for a week in San Francisco to learn how to be a stronger advocate for a community. I think that's what it's all about. That's why, Ricky, I don't know if you'll ever see my name on a building because <laughs> I actually I actually want the money to go to the students. Right. Yeah, I'd rather yeah. now if they want to. No, I'm just saying. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. On. We, we, we understand. <laughs> like, but um, I try by giving. I try to be focused on improving the student experience and reducing yeah. student debt, and also the overseas study thing. It was a huge yeah. part of my success. I think we need to be global citizens. So if I can make it easier for someone to study overseas, hallelujah.
1: Yeah, no, nah, like this Ooh. global citizenship. This um. Servant leader, you know, mentality all of these things are like what makes you uniquely, you know, you. And mm-hmm. we call guests like you like purple unicorns because, <laughs> like, again, it's rare. We're out there, you know, doing some yeah. great things in terms of executives who are really giving back. And to your point, we usually are pretty comfortable being behind the scenes, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit there, right? But Just like you have in your book, you know, which I'll be getting uh, very soon, (laughs) But which we have uh, in the book. You know, you talk about being selfish and this is we have to be maniacal. We have to be like really intentional about giving back the way that you do. So I have one final question. So, look, Keith and I. You know, we've been look, look, stalking you on LinkedIn, okay? Like, I'm gonna be uh, sending you like reminders now about that book. You know what I'm saying? When my book comes in, when my book come, I'll be like, "Hey, Jimmy, what we doing?" Right. <laughs>
0: Jimmy, okay, what's
1: that book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how we found, like, you know, like your life statement. You know, in terms of what Keith just asked you just a second ago. So I might as well ask you about your second life statement, as it's yeah. pretty profound. You say, "I want to live my life as a full human being." Not a human (laughs) doing. What exactly do you mean by this statement? Like, this is like actually pretty cool, you know, to me because it's like, I'm I'm
3: going to put it on a t shirt. You're being intentional about saying it. Yeah. yeah, You put it on a t shirt. It's literally a gymism. Like, it's not a quote I can attribute to anybody. I'm sure one of your listeners is going to tell me, oh, I know who said that. (laughs) So I'm not, if I'm taking it from somebody, I'm sorry. I'm not giving them credit. But what (laughs) it says to me and why. I did it is there was a point in my life where I woke up and I felt like I was kind of on a treadmill or Mm -hmm. like a rat in a maze where I was just on repeat and I was just doing it over and over and over again. And I was good at it, but it wasn't fulfilling. And I felt like I was almost proverbially like punching a clock, like almost mailing Mm -hmm. it in. And I was just replicating a formula over and over again. And I had lost passion and I had lost the reason why I was doing what I was doing. And I was honestly for your listeners and for you two as my friends, I was chasing the paycheck, right? I was chasing a lifestyle. I was sustaining a lifestyle, right? I was like the married gay man with the house in Palm Springs and the house on Laguna beach. And, you know, there was a certain amount of income that you needed to support that. And I just kind of woke up and I was like, Life is too short. Like, I'm not living. I'm not present. Right. And that's to me, that's what I mean about being a human being. Like, I need to stop and smell the roses. I need to present. And honestly, the gift, and it's hard to call a gift. I lost my dad 10 years ago now, and he was only 72, and it was pancreatic cancer. And so, mm-hmm. any of your listeners know pancreatic cancer, they call it the silent death, right? The silent killer, because he was diagnosed at stage four and basically inoperable. And so we were given a terminal diagnosis. I mean, he was given a terminal diagnosis, like three to six months to live. And that put everything into perspective for me because, by the way, he died. I was six months into my first time being a CEO. It was when I was CEO of Claire's. So here I am, the CEO of a global retailer at Christmas. My dad passed away at Thanksgiving. And that moment of life is short and mm-hmm. life is unpredictable and if i'm not living and being present every moment right now like if i'm not completely focused on what we're doing right now and enjoying every moment of it which i am and i'm not turning off my brain and thinking about what i have to do when we're done with this or you know what i'm going to make my niece for dinner who's living with me this summer like i need to be present and i need to be focused and i need to be and that to me is what that statement is and mm-hmm. i need to drink in every moment because you never know what tomorrow is going to bring.
1: No, nah, you and, absolutely and, don't, and, man. Jim, and, I got goosies over here. Yeah, man. <laughs>
3: I'm just like, I'm getting teary. I'm getting teary. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, I talk to my dad all the time. Like, especially when I'm here in Michigan, like my mom always used to say, like she would see him in the clouds here. And I, you know, God, I miss him so much. And I wish I could talk to him every day, even yeah. like he'd be so proud of this book coming out. I know he'd be so proud about this yeah. book. And that, The only gift I can say of losing a father that young and that quickly is it woke me up. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, look, I just lost my father like a year and a half or so ago. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, just going through stuff, you're like, damn, I wish I could talk to him right now. Like, why Mm -hmm. am I, you know, but to your point, it's like that village, you know, around you is Mm -hmm. extremely important, but you know, you're living your life doing everything that you can do to make this a better place like you're making somebody
3: proud you know so i think yeah, that's yeah. important honor thy parents i mean my first scholarship i doubt is in his name
1: so jim look this is the part yes. of our show where yes. i know people think we've been spending the last you know hour <laughs> or so shooting the shit bragging talking about certain things but there is a very specific reason why we're talking about these things they're like we are not crazy And this is the part where we start kind of speaking about the receipts that prove or validate why we even have an episode about this today. So today's secrets family, we're going to provide, you know, some receipts on LGBTQ plus representation and experiences in the workplace. So Keith, why don't you hit us with receipt number one?
2: Sure thing. And again, I mean, some of this goes back to our conversation of why Jim is a purple unicorn, Mm -hmm. I was a purple (laughs) unicorn, all the kinds of things, right? Because according to a McKinsey study in 2020, you know, estimates have found that 5.1% of U.S. women identify as LGBTQ+, as do 3.9% of U.S. men. And their representation in corporate America, however, is much lower than these levels, the representation of LGBTQ plus women starts to drop off beginning with the first promotion that they get to the manager level. While LGBTQ plus women make up 2.3% of entry level employees, they comprise only 1.6% of managers and an even smaller share of more senior level uh, within corporate America at the SVP and the C-suite with those representation numbers being 0.06% once you get to that level. Even mm-hmm. though LGBTQ men fare better, making up 3.1% of entry-level roles and 2.9% of senior vice president and C-suite roles, those are still very, very small numbers mm-hmm. in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things.
1: Yeah. And again, we're talking about society, we're talking yes. about psychological safety. We're yeah. talking about all those things. We don't know those to be true, but it makes you think. It makes you think. <laughs> it say. definitely makes it you made think me think. And look, and receipt number two, according to a 2022 study by Catalyst. Openly LGBTQ plus corporate leaders are rare, okay? We're talking, again, the Mm -hmm. purple unicorn scenario here, right? Just 26 of the 5,670 board seats in Fortune 500 organizations, that's 0.5%, not even one, okay, (laughs) are held by openly LGBTQ plus directors. In 2018, Beth Ford became the CEO of Land of Lakes and the first openly gay woman to run a Fortune 500 company. Tim Cook from Apple, Jim Fiddling-Dow, and Jeff Jeanette from Macy's are also openly gay uh, Fortune 500 CEOs. Sue Nabby from Cody, who identifies as a transgender woman, leads a Fortune 1000 company, previously a Fortune 500 company in 2021.
2: But when you can actually list... Write the names out. Yeah, the, the, on the,
1: one little, <laughs> I one that's hand.
3: One I read right. the
1: few in less than, like, what, 10 seconds? <laughs> yeah, that's like, right. 15 seconds, like, again. Yes. Like, it's an issue. It's an it's issue. It's an issue. Mm-hmm. It's a big issue.
2: That's right. And receipt number three, that Mackenzie study that I talked about before, points out that three in 20 LGBTQ plus women believe that their sexual orientation will negatively affect their career advancement at work. And that's something that we all face as part of the community in terms of when to come out, how to come out, if I come out. And
1: we're not talking about all of the other things and all the other that, things. that impact the women. Yeah, now, for right? sure. And
2: for LGBTQ plus men, this number is even higher at six and 20. So men are actually a little bit more concerned about coming out than mm-hmm. women. And compared with straight women, queer women are also more likely to report that their gender has played a role in missing out on a raise or promotion or of a chance to get ahead. And despite these challenges, queer employees are just as likely as their straight counterparts to aspire to be top executives. So we want to get there and want to do it, but there are challenges along the way that prevent that.
1: Prevent yeah, us no, from getting I, that. absolutely. And we're talking about that authenticity, you know, not being able to do that. So it's like you're forced to make a choice do I be authentic yes. or do I chase the paper? Right. You know, <laughs> or do I, you know, do I, Hide it until uh, till I can come out, yes. you know, so to speak. I mean, you remember back in the day when you know you'd have like your your sisters not want to corn roll or braid their hair until after <laughs> yes. they got the job. Until they got the job, okay? Or or it'd be hot as hell on the summer if <laughs> you have long sleeves on <laughs> until you got the job, and then you take your long sleeves off and have like a short Show, sleeve. Right now you're showing tattoos, you little tattoos. tattoos. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's similar, you yeah. know, to that. You're making that choice. Huh. Look, the final receipt. Receipt number four, and I'll pile on with this one, you know, here. But the 2022 Catalyst study also showed about 50.4% of queer workers in the United States are not out to their supervisors. Mm-hmm. And one quarter, which is about 258 you know, mm-hmm. to be exact, are not out to anyone at work. Anyone. anyone. Not to supervisors, yeah. not mm-hmm. any.
2: This is 2022.
1: I mean, like Mm. yesterday, you know, basically. Right. But (laughs) right. Comfortability with coming out can differ by gender and rank and LGBTQ plus men are much more likely, meaning 80 percent, to be out to most of their colleagues than LGBTQ plus women, which is 58. That's a huge delta where senior leaders are more likely, you know, meaning 80 percent to be out at work than junior employees. Again. Junior employees, because we're talking about even when, you know, Jim said he had the courage to come out and even yourself, Keith, we're saying 32% of junior employees, you know, feel it's really difficult, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, to be able to do that. Further, queer employees often change their behavior at work, code switch, okay, to avoid or minimize attention to stigmatized traits also known as covering. So 40.7% mm-hmm. uh, of uh, queer employees report covering at their current jobs to avoid harassment or discrimination. And as we mm-hmm. read earlier, yep. you know, to, when you're making a choice to try to figure out, do I chase the paper? Do I try to get promoted yep. versus being you know, authentic there? And then finally, transgender employees are more likely to cover compared to cisgender LGB workers, which is that more likely is 57.7% to 39%, you know, there. So again, we're not just pulling this out of the sky, you know, here, right? Yeah, we're this talking is fat, about this. fact
3: based. Fact based. <laughs>
1: exactly. This is these are the receipts. These are the receipts. The receipts. And again. As we're talking about secrets kind of being for everybody, yes. all of the marginalized you know, individuals, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's why they like secrets, because we talk about the stuff that other people are scared to talk about.
2: That's right. And so we'll uh, now just kind of transition a little bit to talk about secrets. I mean, this is the juice. Yeah. This you know, the juice.
1: oftentimes, you know, we don't want to just leave our listeners with a problem. Right. right. We want to be able to give them some solutions, solutions, some tools to be able to kind of deal with the nonsense, the crazy here. So we have a double dose of secrets for you today. Jim uh, will provide three secrets on tools LGBTQ plus employees can use to navigate their careers and how leaders can use their power and privilege. For good to advocate for queer um, inclusion in the workplace. So, yeah. Jim, what are three recommendations or secrets you know that you have on tools LGBTQ plus employees can use to better align and be able to advance their careers?
3: And again, I don't take any of this for granted, and I realize mm-hmm. what I'm saying is difficult, and mm-hmm. the numbers you just quoted are indicative of that. So, the first one I would say is as far as what the employees can do is find and nurture your chosen family, because there are other people like you at work. And I think it's taking a leap of faith, but you know, it's like building that chosen family one person at a time at work so that you have a confidant, a peer, a trusted source that you can just be you with. And even if that means you have to be closeted to everybody else, and you can't share your authenticity with everybody else, try and find those one or two people that you can, because I think it's going to be an incredible stress release. And I know I live and die by my chosen family. I have an an amazing natural family, but my chosen family is huge to me. The second one, and it's particular for people like Keith and I that did come out is be a mentor and then find a mentor. Like, and that's different than chosen family. Chosen family is like, the one that you can go have a drink with after work and talk about how hard the day was, but mentor. And I think Keith does it. I do it. Ricky, I know you do it. It's like, I think we have a responsibility when there is a younger marginalized person work at work that comes to you and says, I need help. We have to help them and we have to protect them and train them and give them tips. And so I think, you know, my second advice is be a mentor if you're at that point in your career and company where you can (laughs) And then for the other half, find that mentor and be brave enough to ask someone to mentor you Like, because it's a two-way relationship. My third secret is to get involved in your community outside of work or if there is an employee resource group. And there are. In many companies, there's a pride group or a Black Lives Matter group or women's rights group. Keith, you mentioned in my bio, I'm in the Black philanthropy circle. I'm in the women's philanthropic leadership circle. I am not a woman or a Black person. And yet I commune with those communities because I believe in their causes. And I think our causes are intersectional. And I think, again, and if those resources don't exist in your company, find them in your community. Because if you have to be closeted at work then I personally want you to be able to be yourself outside of work. Mm-hmm. Because if you have to be closeted both places, I worry about you mentally and physically. So I would say those are my three for the employee.
2: Those, those are incredible. It's, it's almost like we paid you to stay. <laughs>
3: wait, I'm not getting paid for this? Wait a minute. <laughs> I, I need to hang up now. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's almost like we paid you for that.
2: On the flip side, because we know that change yes. is hard and we need leaders who are out there actually also doing the work and making things uh, inclusive. And so what advice would you give to leaders around how to dismantle some of these discriminatory practices and really advocate for queer inclusion in the workplace?
3: I think the one thing for all leaders is to invest and to promote and ensure that people are actually getting trained mm-hmm. on the issues of diversity equity inclusion and actually training on how to be an ally the same way that we have mandatory we you know we have mandatory training in california on sexual harassment i know that's not a national thing i actually think as a leader you need to either and there's many resources out there many amazing training companies and things where there's actually training on hidden biases and inherent biases and all that, like I invest in training your team and specifically invest in training the straight community on how to be an ally to our community. Cause there's a way to be an ally and there's a way to be an advocate and a supporter. So I would say that's the first secret. The second one is a leader, regardless of what your color, gender, age, race, any of that is and create an environment where people can share stories. And I think you do that by sharing your own story, and I'm not saying you come in and tell like people confuse this all the time. I'm not saying you come in and say I had a horrible fight with my wife last night and I'm considering getting <laughs> divorced. Like I'm not saying that story. I'm saying like appropriate. Could be, true. That were, which could right, be true. could no be true. Could be true. And that's your yeah, yeah, yeah. authenticity. <laughs> that could be your authenticity. But I'm saying share stories about your own path. On mm-hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion, your yep. own path. Yep. Because here's the God's honest truth. You guys know this. We all have differences. We have visible and invisible differences. Even the most six foot four straight white quarterback, cisgender male who's you know working as you know, a senior vice president in finance at your company, he has differences, and I think. By being vulnerable enough and strong enough to share those differences, you create an incredible environment for your team. And then again, the third one is a little bit tied to what I talked about as the employees. As a leader, you should volunteer for your employee resource groups. You should participate mm-hmm. in your employee resource groups. You should participate in volunteer events in your community and be visible. And so, you know, attend. Pride marches, attend city council meetings, like just be visible. I think the management cliche is walk the walk and talk the talk, right? Like it's actually, you know, we talked about being present. It's actually as a leader, be present. And I think with that, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not a light switch, but I think that's how you start to build culture and how you start to change things.
1: (laughs) Damn, Jim, Jim jimmy 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 <laughs> like 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 man jimmy
0: jimmy jimmy
1: jimmy jimmy like, jimmy, jimmy
0: jimmy do it, all. Do it like,
1: all. i am so very grateful that you were able to bless the mic for us today and just raise our level of consciousness and look secrets family i know this was a little long today i've been having a little something to drink and Jimmy, jimmy was talking to me so i had to let him go I mean, but the knowledge that you spit for us today was like, it was- You can edit,
3: you You can edit.
1: No, 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 we will not. Because we could not, like, honestly, like, this is so rich. Like, there's so much information. There's so many things that you've done to make corporate America, to make this world a better Mm. place. And we would be disrespectful if we only let this be 20, 30 minutes of you sharing this story. You know, for us, we are- extremely appreciative that you've been able to be on the show today, but also
3: that you're a part of the secrets village. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm honored to be part of the village. Thank you guys for letting me ramble and uh, share my story. And as always, it's amazing spending time with you guys and anything I can do to help the community for sure.
2: I just want to extend my thanks again. I mean, I've been having goosies throughout this (laughs) entire conversation it has been, you know, and it's been just great, you know, reconnecting. And I'm just saying, say, y'all go out and get this book. Get yes. The book. Get the book. You You're going you pre- to need it. You're going to need it. You can order
3: it now. You can pre-order That's right. it now. And pre-order it. You guys will have all the details at your website. My yep. website is up. www.allpridenoego.com is up. So you can find the book, I promise.
2: Awesome. So again, yeah, go look in those show notes because it'll be there.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and and look, like Jim. Again, I know I mentioned it
1: already, but (laughs) you are officially in this secrets village and look, we Mm. have some other things coming up and we're going to absolutely get you engaged and involved, you know, in those because again,
3: Hey, I got to keep my purple unicorn status. I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose that color. No, I feel no, like that's a badge of honor. I, I, I got to make it.
1: sure that we keep filling Jim up with some drinks, so he keeps dropping some uh, shit for us. So, okay, that's the main thing there. I was right? drinking water. Like yeah, I, yeah, next yeah. time,
3: next time I'm coming with vodka. But this yeah, yeah, is we got to get him. Some,
1: we got to get Jim some act right. Wow. You know I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but again, as he said, everyone go get that book. And then to our listeners in our secrets village, you know, it just continues to grow because we have listeners like uh, you all. Because we have guests like Jim. Look, we're trying to blow it up in 2023. So you can help by telling five friends. It's like friends helping friends, right? That's you know, right. they always knew somebody who made the money, yeah. you know, but yep. they, this right here is tell five friends. We, we're going to yep. make sure that everyone that you talk to knows about secrets, yeah, right? Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, it's just that simple. Join our LinkedIn group, write a review on Apple or Spotify. Also, just get some of that gear. We get ready to update some of that stuff too. So please get some of that gear.
2: That's right. And as you know, we're all focused on helping you get your coin also. And so we've helped... Over the last three years, some of our clients get over $8 million in total compensation increases just by working with us and getting some of our mentorship. And so we're trying to get this sucker to at least 50 yeah, <laughs> so we can retire. That's generational uh, wealth. That's, that's right. generational wealth. That's all we're trying to create for our community, right? So if you've been thinking about coaching, stop it. It's time to invest in yourself. Really give yourself that self-care. Be selfish. And was talking okay, about Take care of you. Put your mask on. Put your mask on. That's right. So if you're trying to negotiate salary or figure out how to leave the company or want some help on your resume or LinkedIn or whatever, just you can book an hour with us. We are happy to help. We are here for you. Trust me, you won't regret it.
1: Yeah, it's $8 million in total compensation increases who don't regret it. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's what I will say. Look, want to again, again, we want to just thank you, Jim, for once again, for being with us today i mean this was just an amazing conversation one thing that kp and i love you know and have a lot of pride in is how to mix a little cocktail and i know i had to step away for a second <laughs> to mix mine in the middle i was getting a little uptight i was getting a little uptight for a second there right But i had to mix another cocktail so we're going to refill these cups and just get back at it secrets village we so appreciate you jim we appreciate you And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Secrets. And remember, when we share, you transform. Peace, everybody.
0: Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed yet another episode of Secrets. If you are motivated and excited about being a part of the Secrets Village after listening to Keith and Ricky, please show these brothers some love by spreading the word to people that you know need this knowledge. Until next time, cheers.